Yeah, the New York Times basically covered this and said, this is an example of the police squashing protests, resistance mm. to the lockdowns. Could you, could you maybe go over your research and your take on that and, and what you were able to find out just uh, because, I mean, not just because you're there, but also because you did some journalistic work that the New York Times <laughs> and BBC failed to do, which they often do. They, don't, they, they often fail to go into the story uh, more deeply and to get the full picture. Yeah, for sure. So um, people will remember uh, the scenes painted, especially by BBC, which of course I've been following closely, uh, of a police and a protester clash in Pudong, New District, uh, I think about a week ago. Now the story they painted was that um, the government just turned up and forced people out of their homes and said, we're turning these homes into a quarantine site for asymptomatic patients. And of course, if that was the case, people would uh, be uprising and angry as we all would be. But the truth of the matter is, and what they didn't cover in that story uh, was that uh, that compound, that set of buildings is actually uh, for, it's called which means like uh, highly skilled workers accommodation, which is uh, run and supplied by the government. Uh, where they offer um, heavily discounted accommodations to uh, highly skilled workers that they're trying to attract to the area. Now you have to um, fit a few conditions before you're allowed to move in. For example, uh, your rent needs to be, uh, sorry, your income needs to be below a certain amount uh, to qualify. So um, also these are not uh, kind of normal, what you would call normal apartments where mum and dad and kids uh, find a nice apartment they like, move in, change the decor, bring in new furniture. They're more like service departments or, or not so much dorms, but kind of like that for uh, temporary residents for these highly skilled workers as they relocate to the area. So what happened was uh, on the 12th of April, the government contacted them and said, and this is in, in their contract, it's clearly in their contract, which I've seen, uh, if for any reason the government needs to uh, have them uh, leave the premises, they'll need to do so. Uh, and that reason has come up now with this, uh, you know, exploding numbers and the government needs these uh, quarantine facilities. So what they did was uh, they uh, chose one building in the compound which had the least amount of residents. My research shows they had about 12 uh, residents, sorry, 12 households in the whole building. So it was easier to, um, you know, it had the most empty rooms. So they asked those residents to temporarily move to another building in the compound, uh, free of charge. No, no rent will need to be paid. Um, they were also compensated. Uh, and also no patients, no COVID patients would be staying in their accommodation. Their rooms would be sealed off for the time being. They had two days to uh, collect the things they wanted to bring to the other part of the compound. Um, so basically uh, most of them, or I think all of them agreed uh, on the 12th and they had till the 14th to uh, sort out what they were going to bring. And then what happened was on the 14th, there was that clash we saw on TV on BBC, which was very small, uh, by, you know, in the grand scheme of things uh, and not at all violent. Uh, but of course, it was turned around as this uh, oppressive move by the government to kick people out of their homes. Of course, the situation, the real situation was anything but. Now, I did hear, uh, and this is unconfirmed, um, that uh, some of the people were living there illegally, actually. They had subletted the spaces from uh, those who were awarded the rooms and meant to be living there and were making money off the government. So what would happen is uh, if they were forced to move to another building in the premises temporarily, they would be effectively found out. So tensions arose. There was a bit of a clash. Uh, and of course, in the West, you didn't hear that uh, full story. Yeah, yeah, well, well, thanks for clear, clearing that up, because I think that 
takes a little bit of the steam or the the smoking gun out right. of the Western media narrative, right? It becomes a lot more complex. And whatever was going on in terms of the direct conflict between mm. uh, those residents, those temporary residents and the police, uh, it surely had a, a lot more depth to it than just the right. police were there to repress their legitimate resistance to dynamic zero, zero, the zero COVID strategy. So with that said, I mean, the claims are, are quite outlandish that we're hearing uh, and they're, and they're quite racist. I mean, a lot of the attacks on China's dynamic zero has a real racial component. It is all about portraying China as this yellow peril as the right. Chinese people is just completely uh, sub subservient and docile without any say in their political, economic, and social affairs that the government is controlling them and just telling them what to do. And they can't have any independent thoughts. But the claims that we're hearing are so outlandish that they almost belie reality. So I, I, want, I want you to speak on, if you can, this notion that people are starving in Shanghai, that there are people who are going hungry and that this is government enforced, or if the media isn't claiming, if the Western media isn't claiming it's government enforced, they're basically saying it's because China is just, they're just going for zero COVID regardless of the costs. And they are essentially the central government and the entire government in China is not really worried about hunger. They don't care if the people are starving. They're just uh, making these errors out of their own misguided trajectory to eliminate COVID-19. Uh, so could you speak on the hunger issue? And, and uh, because I know that there were logistical issues, especially mm -hmm. in the beginning, but what's, what, what has been your experience and what have you been hearing outside of your experience? Well, I think the reality is that it is true that there were massive uh, logistics problems, uh, massive problems with uh, ordering food, uh, having food delivered uh, from the start of the citywide lockdown. Um, but the fact of the matter is that there's nobody starving to death here in Shanghai. I'd have to say that blatantly. Um, it, it is the case now that it is still quite difficult to order uh, things that you want. Uh, for example, if you have kind of luxuries, you know, obviously not all of the restaurants or supermarkets are operational at the moment because people are in lockdown. So people can't send you uh, blueberries or imported yogurts or things like that. Um, but uh, the staples, anything uh, you need like vegetables, uh, bread, milk, uh, eggs, meat, um, it's all readily available. You just need to, obviously, people need to figure out ways uh, of getting it, which is usually at the moment using Tuan Go, which is like group buying. So uh, in Shanghai, everyone lives in apartment complexes, basically, uh, and they all have Ju uh, Wei which is like a, a, the, the most fundamental form of governance in China, which is in charge of managing that whole compound. And they organize uh, with uh, people in the compound these group buying schemes uh, where, for example, uh, they'll buy 200 chickens or whatever it is, uh, and then people uh, get food that way. Uh, also, there are uh, regular uh, donations, I guess you could call it, from the government. Um, free of charge. Uh, so you'll get uh, bags of vegetables. I think the other day I received two ducks, uh, which I don't really know how to prepare. Um, but 
Uh, I think the problem is people are, are you know, upset that there were problems at all. I think a lot of the people who are complaining online, they're, they're frustrated, rightly so, because they can't order the things they want. Um, but I think it's, it's a fallacy to claim that uh, there are people uh, starving in, in, in Shanghai. Um, also, I'd like to add, because before you said that people in the West have this idea that um, Chinese people are all, you know, brainwashed, they're all forced to think the same thing, no one complains. Um, the fact of the matter is the, in the internet here in Shanghai right now is just flooded with people complaining. And it's important to know that, you know, Chinese people are multidimensional just like everyone else. So amongst the Chinese population, there are also uh, drama queens, I guess you could say, uh, who want to ramp up the drama, uh, you know, for the world to see, um, including a friend of mine, I won't name him obviously, but uh, he sent me a message the other day, a Chinese friend saying he's nearly out of food. I was like, oh no, how can that be? Did you do the group buying in your compound? He's like, are we having a group buying today, blah, blah, blah. Then I sent him a link uh, to somewhere where I had bought vegetables from. And I said, uh, you can go here. She delivers everywhere in, Ch uh, in Shanghai, uh, any vegetables you need. And he was like, oh, uh, can you send me a picture? You know, most vegetables I don't really like. And I was like, wait a minute, so are you starving or not? You know what I mean? So uh, Chinese people, multidimensional, a lot of drama queens, people ramping up the drama, but I think it's, it's fair to say no one's going to starve to death here in Shanghai during this lockdown.